Year after year, one of the most consistent items on my do something list is to have fun with fashion. Exploring my personal style has added more joy to my everyday life and helped me feel more like myself on the regular. However, I have found that there are some brands I would love to explore more, but they are out of my typical price range. Or there's the it item that I would love to try out, but without the commitment of keeping it. Enter Armoire. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new to you styles. I just did my quiz and have selected a few dresses for the summer from Bowdoin, one of my favorite brands that I can't typically afford. And I also got a double-breasted black blazer from a new-to-me designer, a classic item that I have been on the hunt for but too scared to commit to until I know it's the one. For you expecting mamas, for those who are working or those who are style-obsessed, who want to switch out your wardrobe with quality pieces without the designer prices, check out this woman-owned company that has your style and your sustainability in mind. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash progress. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Monica. Real quick before we start this episode, this month I have a special request of you. Has About Progress impacted you for good in any way? Has it served a need that you had in your life at the right time? I would be honored if you could express how through a rating and review that you leave on your podcast app. Many apps have a way for you to do this, but the most important place to leave a rating and review is on Apple Podcast or iTunes. They're one and the same. The few minutes that you take to share what you like about this show goes a long way both for me to do a better job showing up here and to also help boost our likelihood of being seen by other women who need this community. I am so grateful that you take the time to listen, and I thank you in advance for supporting me and leaving a rating and review. Now on to the show. You are listening to episode 338, Important New Ways to Look at Nutrition. As a nerd, I took a lot of classes in college that I didn't necessarily have to, and I don't think I really understood the concept for a while that you're supposed to take classes to go towards a major, but I digress. But one of these classes was Nutrition 101, and I thought that course was so fascinating and I learned so much. But 16 years later, 
a lot of what I learned in that class has been totally refuted, such as margarine being a healthier choice than butter and low fat being the standard to to healthy and nutritious living, right? I straight up recycled that textbook even like three years after the course was finished because it was already outdated. When you hear the word nutrition, do you drum up a ton of food rules that you learned back in health class in high school? Do you think of certain parameters and ways that must go into eating? While yes, nutrition is totally about nutrients in order to support our health, nutrition can be about so much more. Today, we are lucky to hear from registered dietitian and personal trainer, Taylor Chan. Her work bridges the gap between nutrition and physical activity in a way that elevates our relationship with food, movement, and our bodies. You might know her from her colorful doodles that are on her Instagram account, Food and Fearless. And these doodles challenge diet culture, and they expand the traditional definition of nutrition by celebrating the social, emotional, and cultural aspects of food. Such a unique take, right? I know you will love following her on Instagram. Taylor was actually on the show last year, and she was so amazing that I invited her to be a masterclass teacher for my membership group, The Strive Hive. So what you actually are hearing today is the audio from that masterclass that aired back in February. In this masterclass replay, you will learn how to look at nutrition in new and important ways. How, yes, nutrition is both about our health, but how it also serves as a way to explore create togetherness, honor culture, and create enjoyment in our lives. And who doesn't want more of all those things? I know I do. Welcome to About Progress. I am your host, Monica Packer, and I don't want you to just listen to this show. I want it to change you. This community of progressors empowers women to take on radical growth via sustainable changes. Are you motivated and ready to grow in your identity, purpose, and productivity? You can when you remember that life is about progress, not perfection. Next week is our final episode of the month, and that is going to be our quarterly Dear Progressor episode. Yay! This is where we get to hear from everyday women in this community, our fellow progressors, and what they are both learning and applying about all things progress over perfection. We need your voice on this show, however imperfect or messy or kids in the background, it doesn't matter. So send in a voice note to be featured on Dear Progressor. Go to aboutprogress.com slash be on the show to learn how. And I have an optional prompt for you that goes with this last month's theme, but you can honestly share anything. But if you want a suggestion on what to talk about, here you go. You can respond to this prompt. I am more than a body. I know this because, and tell us how and why you know that, or anything else that you'd like to share. I can't wait to hear your responses. And again, you can find out how by going to aboutprogress.com slash be on the show. It's actually super easy to do. Now, before I go on to share this recording of the masterclass replay, let me tell you a little bit about the formatting because it's different than a normal back to back and forth interview that you typically hear on the show. In this masterclass in particular, some are workshop styles and some are seminar style, but in this particular one, uh, Taylor spent the first half presenting her material and the second half is actually Q&A 
featuring members of the Strife Hive and their questions and my questions too. I've edited out more of the back and forth that we typically have, as well as tried to preserve some privacy there. So that's why you're going to hear just random voices and you're like, who's that? Who's that? If you can't recognize it, it's a Strive Hive member, okay? Our master classes are a huge highlight to what we do in the Strive Hive. And this is the first time I have shared one to the general public, and it won't happen often. If you want to learn more about the Strive Hive and get on the wait list for the next enrollment period, go to aboutprogress.com forward slash Strive Hive. This is where serious progressors hang out, and together we strive for daily progress in ways that are both fun and impactful. Go to aboutprogress.com slash Strive Hive to get on that wait list. All right, now on to our masterclass with Taylor Chan. Thank you, Monica. Hi, everyone. So today we're going to be talking about redefining nutrition. So we're going to be taking a look at what we typically think when we hear nutrition and see if we can expand that definition a little bit to be a little bit of more inclusive and a well-rounded version. So what I did was I did a quick little Google search. And if you Google nutrition, you see a lot of fruits and vegetables, you see some stethoscopes, so which implies maybe like a more medical setting. You see someone in a lab coat, um, there's hearts, there's DNA, which imply like some science and a lot of whole foods. And for me, at least when I see all of this, it's really the stereotypical ideation of nutrition. So what you typically think of when you think of nutrition And these are all suggesting that the purpose of nutrition is to support physical health. So I pulled this straight from Merriam-Webster. Nutrition is the study of nutrients and how they interact with your body. The act or process of nourishing or being nourished. And you know, if you think about it, yeah, the body is so cool. You can eat any food and your body knows exactly what to do with it and knows how to process it, where to distribute those nutrients to where they need to go, all without us having to give it a second thought. And by doing this, we're able to provide our body with energy. We're, help, we're helping prevent ourselves from getting sick. And in the chances that we do get sick, proper nutrition can help with recovery as well. So yes, nutrition supports physical health, which is great. But nutrition also impacts so much more than physical health and supports so many areas beyond physical health too. And so I thought we could talk about that a little bit. Through food, we can explore. There is so much that you can learn through food. I think one of food's greatest superpowers is bringing people together. It's a key part of togetherness. Food is culture. It's connection to our heritage especially around holidays and celebrations. We have those really strong food traditions that tie us to our culture. And last but not least, food is fun. It tastes good, makes us feel good. Enjoying food is so important. So for the next few minutes, I'm gonna take some time to go through each of these in more detail, talking about what they are important in our relationship to food and how we can begin to incorporate some of these into our everyday food decisions, everyday mindset around food. So we'll begin with exploration. Exploration through food means trying different flavors, different cuisines, which can help us learn about other cultures. We can try new recipes, pick up different ingredients, which can teach us new skills and techniques in the kitchen and have us explore and have fun in the kitchen. 
whenever we're traveling somewhere, it's always customary to try the local fare. So if you're going to New England, you're going to try the clam chowder. If you're going to Philadelphia, you'll probably find a cheesesteak. And there's probably so many other different examples that you can think of. When you're traveling, you're always going to want to try something to immerse yourself in the local culture. Same thing when you're going to a restaurant. When you go to a restaurant, you're going to want to try that house special. And there's some required exploration too, especially for kids. So kids need to try new foods in order to expand their palates, in order to learn and grow. It's part of their learning process. And for adults, I mean, that required exploration can apply too. It's lifelong learning for us and helps us keep an open mind to try new things as adults as well. And, you know, it can just be fun, fun to try new things and switch it up a little bit. So some things to think about whenever we're trying to incorporate more exploration or be more aware of the exploration that we are including in our everyday. When's the last time that you've tried something new? I had someone pose this question to me not too long ago, and it was really eye-opening. You know, I go to the grocery store, I pick up generally the same things every single time, and I really get stuck into that routine. So you have to be really intentional about trying something new. What's a new food that you've tried recently? What's a favorite food that you've had maybe while traveling or checking out a new restaurant? And then can you try to incorporate at least one new thing a week? So the takeaway that I hope you get from here is how can you try to make trying new things a regular practice? And it can be something as small as going to the store and picking up a new brand of bread or picking up a different type of apple. Maybe you normally get gala and this time you want to try Red Delicious. It could look like ordering something different off the menu from your favorite restaurant. It doesn't have to be completely new entree, maybe just a different protein or a different sauce or something like that or in your Chipotle bowl, you add tomatoes this time. It's sometimes it's just so easy to get stuck in a routine, picking up the same things every single time. And so here I want you to try to focus on incorporating new things into our current routine and really push yourself out of your comfort zone in that sense. Moving on to togetherness. So food is at the center of every social gathering. Whether you're grabbing a coffee with a friend, you're going out to a potluck party and bringing your favorite dish to share, going to birthday parties, going out to dinner. Wherever there's food, there's people. And the contrast of that is also true. Wherever there's people, there's probably gonna be food too. And you know, togetherness may probably has looked a little bit different this past year with Zoom calls and some food porch drop-offs and sending goodies through the mail. But I think a testament to how food brings people together is we've really been able to preserve some of those food traditions, some of that togetherness, even as we've been navigating quarantine. And it really just speaks to how food is a really important way that we communicate love and care for one another. And of course, eating is the one thing that we all have in common. We all have to eat. And so the best way to eat is together. It's a time to connect and converse with others, to hear about others' perspectives. It's a time when kids can practice those conversational skills. They can practice listening and empathizing, which are really important skills as they grow into adults. It also helps you to be more open to trying new foods. So bringing in that exploration a little bit too. Whenever you're around uh, the table with your friends and you see that your friends are eating a food that maybe you've never tried before, if your friends like it, then you actually might like it too. And it just makes it seem a little bit more approachable and have you be a little bit more open to trying something new. 
And it also helps slow down the eating process. So if you're eating with other people, the chances are you're probably going to be talking between bites. And this gives your body a little bit more time to digest and break down and absorb those nutrients. It also helps you be a little bit more present in the moment and focus on that eating experience. So when we're thinking about togetherness, we can think about things like, what's your favorite go-to potluck party dish? What's that one dish that you love to share with other people? What does your table look like, especially around the holidays? What brings your family together? What's a favorite family dish? This could be at the holidays or outside of the holidays. Where do you really love to go to eat with your friends? And of course, how are you able to adapt and maintain food traditions during COVID? And I think that these questions are just really helpful to bring a sense of togetherness and just reflecting on those things that, yeah, whenever our family gets together, there's always food there. I know for my family, my uh, mom's side of the family is from Indonesia. And so when my grandmother came over, she brought this recipe, this pork satay, which is essentially marinated skewered pork. And so what my uncle does now is he marinates all the pork. And then when it's about time ready to eat, we'll all get together, we'll skewer the pork up, grill it out together. And it's a really fun time for the family to be together and make a family recipe that we would all enjoy later on. That togetherness is really, really important. And we can't talk about togetherness without talking about culture. So food and culture are very tightly intertwined. You can't have culture without food. And of course, there's a lot of overlap here with togetherness too. So your personal food culture can be heritage-based, meaning those family foods that you grow up with, those things that you ate growing up, or it could be location-based. So if, for example, I'm from Maryland and one of the big parts of the food culture in Maryland is eating crabs. And so that would also be a part of my food culture because it's where I'm from, it's that locality of it. Then whenever immigrants travel to a new country, move to a new country, they'll bring recipes from their home countries to bring a piece of home with them. And this becomes a comfort food, a sense of pride. And they'll pass it down from generation to generation to preserve that culture and also educate the next generation about their culture. And when we talk about culture, it's also a really important part whenever we're having nutrition discussions, yet it's so often left out. Cultural foods are so important, they're really meaningful and personal, yet cultural foods are often demonized in nutrition discussions, which leaves a lot of people feeling unheard. So for example, white rice is in a very important part of Asian and Latin cuisines. So if you see all those nutrition recommendations saying, oh, like eat brown rice or eat cauliflower rice instead of white rice, you're asking a lot of people to remove a large part of their cultural foods and they're part, uh, separating them from their cultural identities. And so whenever we are having nutrition conversations with people and doing nutrition goal setting, we want to make sure that those cultural foods are being honored rather than removed. So some benefits of eating for culture, you are building community and family and you're strengthening that bond through food. You're able to celebrate holidays and religious events. 
And whenever you have certain cultural foods, there's likely some specific ingredients or preparation methods that you use to make that. So being able to connect to those and honor those can really help create value and respect around food. So by eating for culture, it really just gives a whole new meaning to food. So some things to think about here. What types of food traditions do you have? How does food play a role in your connection to culture? What foods are meaningful and nostalgic to you? What transports you back to childhood? And what are your comfort foods? What are the things that you go to when you're feeling a little bit homesick or just a little upset and need a good pick-me-up? These are all cultural considerations. Last but not least, here we have enjoyment. So food tastes good, should make you feel good, and you should be able to enjoy your food. By eating for enjoyment, you can strengthen and develop a better relationship with food. It also gives you a little bit more flexibility to engage in social events and try new foods. So if a friend asks you spontaneously to go and grab a bite to eat, you can have that spontaneity without having to worry about looking ahead to see what's available on the menu. If you're walking down a street and you pass a really cute cupcake shop, you can stop in and just grab a couple flavors to try just for the fun of it. Eating for enjoyment also provides greater satisfaction with meals. So this is not only feeling physically full and physically satisfied, but rather mentally and emotionally satisfied. So let's say I have an apple when what I really want is a cookie. I'm not going to feel satisfied, right? Because an apple is in no way comparable to a cookie. And so if I want a cookie, I should be able to eat that cookie if it's available to me. So then that way I can have emotional satisfaction. Eating for enjoyment also helps with digestion. Um, when you eat food that you're enjoying, your body triggers a rest and digest response, which helps your body to absorb nutrients and break that food down. And the opposite is true here too. So if you're stressed about the food that you're eating, if you're having a stressful eating experience or in a really stressful environment while you're eating, this can actually inhibit digestion and lead to GI distress, constipation, upset stomach, those kinds of things that aren't so fun which is kind of a great segue into what I wanna talk about next, which is stress around food, particularly guilt around enjoying food. So I don't know if you've ever noticed before, but I hear this come up a lot. There is a lot, a lot, a lot of guilt and shame around feeling pleasure and enjoyment from food. So you've probably heard someone say something along the lines of, oh, I feel so bad for eating these, but they just taste so good. And so here you're having those conflicting feelings. They're really enjoying what they're eating, but they feel really bad about it. And they have that cognitive dissonance. Or something like, oh, that cake was so yummy, but you know, I'm definitely gonna have to run this off later. So this doesn't explicitly say good or bad, but it still indicates that guilt and that need for compensation as a result of enjoying their food. And food marketing uses that sort of like devil angel on your shoulder mindset as a selling tactic too. And it capitalizes on this to make you feel um, like you should feel a little bit taboo or rebellious for enjoying foods, which creates this allure around food. So you've probably seen words on, I'm thinking of desserts in particular, because I feel like that's where these 
words are used the most, things like sinful, indulgent, guilty pleasure. I mean, it's right there. You should feel guilty about experiencing pleasure and guilt-free. So this is a really interesting one, but I want you to think about it like this. If you were to buy a loaf of bread and on that packaging, it says made without poison, that's going to create some doubt, right? And you're going to say, wait, was my bread supposed to have poison in it? Should, I, should that be something I'm concerned about? And the same thing happens with guilt-free. When you see them on a package and you go, wait, am I supposed to be feeling guilty about this? Should I be feeling guilty for eating this? The food isn't good or bad. The food that we eat doesn't impact who we are and it shouldn't impact how we feel about ourselves. Food is morally neutral. And as we've discussed so far, we eat so many different foods for so many different reasons. And enjoying foods is just part of being human. We should be able to enjoy our food, period. So some food for thought for you all here. What foods do you enjoy, truly genuinely enjoy? What about those foods make it so enjoyable to you? When you are enjoying foods, do you notice feelings of guilt or shame? Do these appear more so with some foods rather than others? And why might this be? Do you feel like you're a better or worse person for eating some foods over others? And why might that be? And how satisfying, emotionally, mentally satisfying is this food feeling for you in this moment? So to start to wrap things up a little bit, I thought it would be um, helpful to talk about how we can incorporate all the things that we've talked about so far into building a more positive relationship with food. So one of the things that you can do is by starting to focus on the experience around food rather than just the food itself that are in that food. So the five W's, who, what, when, where, why, who are you eating with? What are you having? When are you eating it? Is it a special occasion or is it just like your everyday lunch? Where are you? Where are you having it? What is that eating experience, that dining experience and environment like? And why are you eating it? Again, is it just a special occasion? Is it something that your friend brought over for you to try? Is it something that you just wanted to um, whip right up and try a new recipe for? And then you also want to think about using your senses and really uh, immerse yourself into that experience. So what does it taste like? Is it sweet, salty? What does it smell like? What's that texture? Is it hot, cold, crunchy, soft? All of those different senses. I'm blanking on the last two right now. It's okay. Um, and so you want to be able to focus on the experience around food. And part of that is setting aside dedicated time to eat. So if you can set up a calm, relaxing environment, if they're with other people, try to limit the conversation to things that are less tense and less controversial. And also try to limit distractions to give yourself the opportunity to truly focus on what you're eating. So if you can put down the phone, turn off the TV, really just be there in the moment. And then of course, reflecting on how food supports overall health, not only physically, but is it supporting you socially, emotionally, culturally, financially? Is what you're eating saving you time and energy to focus on other things in your life? I think those are really important considerations. And then noticing how you think and talk about food. 
So do you tend to gravitate towards labeling foods as good or as bad? And if you do, what kind of reframes can you offer to move away from this type of thinking? So we're, when we're in the process of building a more positive relationship with food, with strengthening our relationship with food, it's not easy and it's not going to happen overnight, especially when we have so much messaging that is this. And it's something that's going to happen slowly, intentionally over time. There's a lot of unlearning, but also a lot of relearning. And so it's really important to be kind and gentle to yourself in the process. So I mentioned some reframes. So I put together some examples of reframes. So then that way you can begin to challenge some of that internal dialogue around food and practice some for yourself as well. And as I go through these, again, I want you to take note of some of the ways that exploration, culture, togetherness, and enjoyment can be part of these reframes and really drive them. So I picked two foods that tend to be pretty well demonized in the nutrition world. The first being pizza. So pizza is a childhood favorite. I grew up loving it, eating it with all of my friends. It's a crowd pleaser, something that almost everyone likes. And part of the pleaser is because there's so many toppings that you can have on it, easily customizable, so then that way everyone will be happy. And of course, I mean pizza parties. I feel like that's a given, right? Some fun around pizza. Pizza is an easy hot dinner option for takeout if that's something that you don't feel like cooking for the day. Whenever you're traveling to New York or Chicago, they take a whole lot of pride in their pizza. So when you go there, you have to try their version of pizza. It's really fun to make at home, you know, get the dough, put on the sauce and the cheese and all of your favorite toppings and really rewarding to make at home. And in general, pizza is just some warm, cheesy goodness. And then we have cake. So I don't know about you all, but whenever I think of cake, I think of really fun and exciting times like birthday parties, weddings, celebrations. There's always cake there. And they can come in little cupcake forms too, really cute. And there's so many different flavor combinations. You can have different flavored batters, different icings, different fillings, all the different decorations. It's really fun to get people together and decorate a cake, especially if, it's make, if you're making it for someone really special to celebrate someone special. It's a, cake is a way where you can support a local bakery. Go to your local bakery and pick up a cake, pick up a dessert, and it's a way of giving back to the community. Whenever you're making a cake, you know that it's always baked and served with love. And if you're just in the mood for something sweet, a slice of cake can go a long way in satisfying that sweet craving, sweet little pick-me-up. If you remember back at the beginning, we talked about that original definition of nutrition, the study of nutrients, the after process of nourishing or being nourished, referring to food in a very physical sense, how food affects our physical health. But again, it is so much more than just its nutrients, and it affects so much more than just our physical health. It nourishes us socially, culturally, emotionally, mentally, and supports those aspects of our well-being. And that's equally, if not more important. We eat so many different foods for so many different reasons. So moving forward, I hope that when you think about nutrition, you're able to expand that definition. So then that way your new definition of nutrition is one that encompasses exploration, togetherness, culture, and enjoyment.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. That was amazing. I almost felt like that was a good kind of fire hose where you're just like, whoa, wait, I need to talk about this so much more and dig into it. And in fact, that's a lot of what the chat has been about so far, just how much deeper this is in terms of our own reframing and needing to change the dialogue, both internally and externally in our environments where we can and where we can control them. Because sometimes, I mean, a lot of places, actually, we, we can't step in in the middle of every family conversation on diet culture and keep pointing it out, you know. So we had a few questions that came up. I think it's important to think like, to think about, oh, am I just feeling guilt because this is something that I viewed as not healthy versus like, I really am overeating, like truly and feeling guilt about that. And also like, why am I overeating? Like emotionally, like I'm overwhelmed and then maybe some like emotional things I need to analyze And, you know, some of that could be deeper with a counselor. So, yeah, and if you can help me flesh it out there, Monica. I think that that was a good way to to say. Let's see where Taylor takes this. And I'm sure we'll have a few follow-up questions to help with this. I can add to and others as well. So I, the first thing that comes to mind when I heard your question is just, yes, that's a very normal feeling, especially when you are starting to have, when you are starting to navigate your relationship with Food. There's a lot of questions and the fact that you have questions just means that you care and that you are trying. So I don't really have any easy answers for how to resolve that, but that really just is part of the process. And that means that you are doing something right. If that's any consolation, but, you know, just keep with it. And those are just going to be continual conversations and there might not always be a def- definitive right or wrong answer. Sometimes you just gotta, you can just move past it and, you know, just accept it for what it is and be like, yeah, maybe I overate, but that's okay. And just move on to the next meal. And one thing I like about what you just said, well, I like everything, but one thing in particular was if this is not a one size fits all, fits all, you know, it's something that you have to figure out in the moment. It sounds like what you're saying, Taylor, and based on my own experience too, especially like she said, this is a new paradigm shift that you're trying to lean into and navigate how to lean into this nuance of your relationship with food instead of being in the all or nothing framework, both nutritionally and in terms of quantity, then you're going to have been an experimental time. It sounds like, and it's going to be really personal where, where you draw the line of I'm exploring the food. I'm getting used to it. I'm allowing things to be on the table, especially with um, intuitive eating. That's a whole part of the process. And I'm sure Taylor could say more to that too. We'll hand the mic back over to her, but also it seems like there's just that balance of knowing, okay, this does seem to me 
being a way to numb myself or to get away from the fear or the pain or the trauma I'm going through, then that's probably different. Anything else, Taylor? I think you covered most of it. Like that was a great summary, but I would say that, yeah, it's just, you're so used to having everything black and white, like eat this, not that. And when you're trying to mend and strengthen your relationship with food, you're really in that messy gray space in the middle um, where there isn't a clear cut answer. And so it's just trying to navigate through that gray space and, you know, understanding that every day is completely different. How you feel every day is going to be different. The food that you have available to you every day is going to be different. And so that's just a part of life. And that's a part of embracing that process to a better relationship with food. I feel like it's, you're playing the long game too. Like this is not going to be a relationship that can be healed in a short amount of time. And it's going to involve a lot of messiness and ups and downs and some healing and also some help where it might be needed, I think. And I'm, again, I'm just speaking from someone who's been through this. I don't know if Taylor even knows this. I have the history with eating disorders and moving into intuitive eating, which is a big part of why this is a value in our community. So, okay. Another question that was asked on what to do with the child who does seem to be doing secretive eating, where it seems like a little bit of, a, of an alarm for the mom. Like, is that a problem? And if so, well, I'm sure it's dependent on the situation, but what advice do you have? If you're in a place with a relationship with your child that you feel like you can approach them about it, then that might be something good to do. Just figuring out why they might be doing that. And if there's something that could be happening in their food environment that is creating that behavior. But if it is something that you are particularly concerned about, I would recommend reaching out to a professional about it to delve into that a little bit more and help you navigate that situation. And I love your advice on that because really it probably have to be a lot more of a deep dive and what else is going on with other signs and signals. Cause yeah, there is this balance, right? Taylor of enjoying food and leading into the cultural aspect, the togetherness and also recognizing and being intuitive about it, but also recognizing when it's a mask or like an armor we're putting on between our feelings. Any other guidance about emotional eating in general? I think that is something that has come up in the comments a bit throughout. I would say embrace emotional eating. All eating is inherently emotional. You know, we eat during happy occasions. We eat during sad occasions. We eat when we're feeling upset. And so I think that by embracing emotional eating, you're just embracing part of being human and being someone who can go to food. I will say that if you are in the traditional sense of what we think of emotional eating, that it is okay to use food as a coping mechanism. Because as we talked about, we do have comfort foods, those foods that make us feel all warm and fuzzy and safe inside. But it's also important to explore other coping mechanisms as well too. So I would just say, just explore some other things that may also bring you that sense of peace and comfort in addition to food. That's an amazing distinction there. So it's not that emotional eating is not allowed. It's that there needs to be more tools they're also leaning into and using to help. And I think this is just kind of what we were talking about too. The more you just see like, this is a signal, like, okay, this means I'm anxious. If I typically find myself in the pantry a lot during a day, it's not because it's bad. It's not because I need to not do it. It's just a signal that I am struggling with another emotional thing that I need to just pay attention to and deal with a little bit more.
So I'm just curious how you can express this or how to invite family members who are entrenched in diet culture or who may be resistant. How can you involve them or what's the word? How can you expose them, express to them your desire to change without feeling like they're being pressured into something? Does that make sense? Yeah, so that's a really tough one. I feel like that I get that question all the time because diet culture is so pervasive and having those family meals and that togetherness can be really difficult if you're on a completely different page than the rest of your family members. And so I've dealt with this personally and you know, sometimes people just aren't in the right headspace to be able to hear some of this newer, more inclusive messaging. And so people aren't in the space to be receptive to some of this messaging, then I would say you would have to set a hard boundary with them. Like say like, oh, like I'm really not comfortable with the way you're talking about food. I'm really trying to work on my own relationship with food. Can we just not talk about this? And I think that's a really important thing to be able to do, especially because it can just be so toxic to have those messages uh, constantly coming into you from people that you really love and care about. But some ways that you can kind of work around that or do instead is you can just plant little seeds here and there with the way that you're talking about food. So if someone's like, oh, like what I'm eating is so unhealthy, you could just be like, oh, like it depends on what you define health as. For me, I defined health as more than just physical. I like to incorporate my social, mental, emotional, cultural health as well. And just by being able to offer some of those reframes, if someone says, oh, this, this food is so bad for me, they say, well, oh, like we're all eating it together and this is a chance for us to be together with this food, I think can be really helpful too. So being able to plant those little seeds where you can, but also being able to draw that from you need to in order to protect yourself and your energy. Thank you for, for sharing that. This is, this is so fascinating. We're getting so many big ahas from this. I know I am. One thing that has come up in our community a lot is just learning to lean into intuitive eating. And for many in, in our Strive Hive, it's the first time that they are doing this. So I was wondering from your standpoint, just what are some obstacles they can expect to face and how to work through those in ways that they're able to continue on this path instead of thinking it's not right for them? Oh, that's a big question, Monica. It is, I know. (laughs) Okay, so I guess on your intuitive eating journey, I mean, the most obvious obstacles are just all that counter-cultural messaging conflicting with what you already believe in. So a lot of that unlearning and relearning, it's going to be a lot of internal dialogue to kind of like work through some of those nuances and have this conversation with yourself and thinking, where does my relationship with food stand? Why was I having that thought about this food in this certain way? Am I overeating right now? Or is it something that I am just giving myself permission to eat? And it feels like I'm overeating because I'm finally giving myself permission to eat it. So I think that those internal dialogues are going to be the toughest part and a lot of overthinking, possibly a lot of overanalyzing. I know I do that all the time. But for me personally, the easy part was identifying my food rules. So what food rules do I currently hold? And I mean, even now I'm still finding food rules that I hold and I never thought 
of them as food rules. And then with being in nutrition classes and things like that, we're taught all of these diet rules, all these food rules in the name of health. And so kind of unlearning some of that from what I've learned in my um, classes has been a big piece of that as well. So just like for all of you, unlearning all of the messaging that you've been hearing is gonna be really difficult. And then the other piece of that, which I saw in the chat here is challenging some of that fat phobia, that fear of weight gain, the fear of fatness. And that's a really, really tough one, especially when there is so much fat phobia in everyday culture, in our medical industry. It's very real and it needs to, it's something that we have to challenge our own biases um, and internalize fat phobia against too. Just to give Taylor a little background, I quit Weight Watchers, which I'd been a lifelong member, you know, not that I was ever at goal weight for very long, but I've always gone. And so I've just really been working through that and trying to just be accepting, but it's really hard because I have a lot of fat phobia, even though, you know, to me, I'm a fat person. <laughs> it's a, it's just ingrained in me. And so I'm always feel like I'm fighting against that. And one of the biggest things I've had to do, like I used to weigh myself every day. And so I just let myself weigh myself once a week now. And I try to tell myself, it doesn't matter. That number doesn't determine my worth, but it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. But also, I mean, the fact that you were able to walk away from what was such a source of comfort <laughs> And into the space of the unknown, I mean, that's huge and that's super brave. So one thing I noticed is like how relaxed you are talking about food. And when I talk about food, like it makes me almost like nervous. Like I just, I don't like talking about it. But one thing I so, saw, how do you like, what would be a good first step? I know you kind of talked about like changing your mindset but how do you kind of get rid of like that fear of food? Like fear is the negative thing. Like, do you have a mantra that you say, or is there something that can just like be put into practice? Like what's kind of the first step for that? Because it's, I just, I don't have good feelings about it. I guess I'm in that messy part right now where I don't, I don't like how I feel about food. So what would be like a good thing to start with? I love that question. I think one of the first things that you can start with is just identifying what your food fears are and what about those foods are making you feel that anxiety and that stress. Just creating awareness around the feelings that you're having around food and why you're having them and just taking notice of whether or not some foods create that more than others and why that might be. And then once you kind of have like a list of all those different things that you're experiencing with certain foods, if you feel comfortable and able to do it, pick whichever one seems the least scariest and try going with that. And just try maybe like a little bite and see what happens. And I think you, as you gradually try to tackle that list and work through one by one, it doesn't have to be all in a week. It can be over the course of a year or two or three. But the more that you start to tackle those food fears head on, I think you just become a little bit more confident and emboldened to be able to continue to try to break through some of those things. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you, like, I think my biggest fear is food equals gaining weight for me big time. Mm -hmm. 
And I rarely ever see food as like an enjoyment or something to bring me closer together with family. Like it's just something that I have to do or I, I do to cope or, you know, things like that. But I think a huge one is the gaining weight. Like that's a big one for me. Yeah. And that's a really hard one too. I mean, I think a lot of people hold that fear and yeah, you just got to start small. And if tackling that fear right now seems like too much, start with something a little bit smaller. So if you're afraid of sugar, then maybe just try incorporating a little bit more sugar rather than stevia or something where you can, and then see where that takes you. I mean, you don't have to tackle food equals weight gain. That's a huge one. You don't have to tackle that one immediately. So just slowly work your way up to it. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to what you were talking to Taylor about, you know, fat phobia in general, just kind of leaning into that. And I, I would say too, that it doesn't have to be, I, I'm trying to say this without it being, you know, kind of leaning into more of the diet culture, but I also think intuitive eating and, and honoring your body, having enjoyment and, and having it be about sociability and togetherness. I don't think that automatically spells weight gain either. And it's kind of what, what Taylor was talking about. Like when you lean into enjoyment and togetherness and mindfulness, you're able to actually pay attention better to your body's signals. Yeah, right. and I think that by having those reframes and being more intentional about creating reframes, the attention away from, oh, this food has so many whatever in it, and this food is so bad for me, this food is going to cause me to gain weight, to more, can we focus more on the experience around food, and does that provide more context to that food rather than just what the food is? Mm -hmm. Jenna says, I notice that I feel bad when I eat beyond what I need to feel satisfied. But when I eat because I'm enjoying the experience, whether it be social or because I'm enjoying the experience of trying something new, I rarely feel guilty about it. And usually to me too, that usually, like we were talking about helping me know the body signals better. Like I know when I'm like, this cake is dry and I don't like it. Or wow, this is so delicious. I'm enjoying every bite. Like you're able to differentiate instead of just saying cake is bad, cake is bad, cake is bad. You're able to say, hmm, I don't like this cake. I'm going to put it aside because I'd rather eat something else. Or this is so delicious. I'm enjoying the experience. Yeah. And I think that really goes back to that satisfaction factor too, right? So if I really want a cookie, but I have an apple, I'm not going to feel satisfied. So maybe I'll be like, oh, I'll have some sort of low calorie snack pack instead of having a cookie. And then maybe, oh, like maybe you'll have some juice instead of having a cookie. And by the time you know it, by the time you actually have that cookie, you've already had like 10 to 12 other foods trying to satisfy that craving when all you really wanted was that cookie. So I mean, just eat that cookie and satisfy that craving up front where you can. And that's part of the learning too. Cause even that first, like the first probably, I don't know how many, it might be a month for some people. It might be years. If you're like me, you eat that cookie. You're like, I'm allowed to eat that cookie. And the whole time you're thinking panic, no bad. And then you eat another one and you kind of go into spiral, but I promise you over time it will stick and you'll be able to know that was satisfying. And I'm so happy and I'm ready to move on to something else now. Yeah. Takes a lot of practice, but it'll come. So this is a great question. She says, I seem to have made new rules where I can't eat healthy things because it feels like I'm being restrictive. Is that normal? How do I start eating more nutritious foods now? Let me, let me clarify. Does this mean you're like 
when I talked to Lexi Kite about beauty redefined, where I'm like, if I'm body positive, does that mean like I can still like wearing makeup and clothes? Like, should I not like those things? Is that what you're asking? Or is it a different thing? You can clarify. I think it's kind of like that. Yeah. I just, I've been on this, like doing intuitive eating for like three years now. So I, I feel like I'm kind of over the diet culture, like I've moved on from there, but because of that, it feels like anytime I eat, you know, fruits, vegetables, like a salad, I'm like, it's like, I've gone too far, you know, like I can't find a good in-between place because it feels like I'm being restrictive if I am eating those things. Yeah. And I will say, I definitely had that experience too, especially as a dietitian, whenever you go out to eat with friends, they're always like, oh, of course you would get the salad or whatever, or, oh my gosh, you're eating a burger. I thought you were a dietitian. And so I feel like whenever I first got into intuitive eating, I was just like, I'm trying to prove that I'm like a cool dietitian and I like all these fun foods too. So anytime we would go out to eat, I'd get like a burger, I'd get a pizza, I'd get whatever would seem quote unquote bad to other people. And I think that it's just, yeah, you are kind of like on a pendulum. And if you're so far over this way, you swing all the way over here, but eventually it'll come back to the middle and center out a little bit. So, I mean, it's again, just part of the process. And I hate that I have to keep saying that, but it really is so true. And we're familiar with that here. (laughs) The great thing about this community is we know that small wins build over time, but it's a mess. It's, it's a, it's a roller coaster. but remember what we also learned that you do change. You do change. It does get easier with time. You do have this new framework and you won't go back once you're able to see the freedom that you have in your life of being able to be a real person and to cultivate fulfillment in your life. Okay. I have one more question for Taylor. My question is just as a dietitian in the field, like I I did nutrition classes in college. The food rules were abundant, just like you talked about with your own training, but how has it been shifting in uh, your work? Is it shifting? Do you get pushback as a dietitian for these viewpoints or is it becoming a little bit more universally acknowledged and shared within your career? I think that we've kind of gotten to a point where people, People are generally willing to say, you know, diets are not cool and that telling people to restrict is not cool. But I think that that's kind of morphed into some other ways. So now instead of saying, oh, like we're afraid of eating these foods because we don't want to gain weight, it's kind of come this like wellnessy messaging instead of like, oh, in order to not get sick, in order to live a very long life, you need to eat eat these certain foods for longevity and health. So I think that that diet culture messaging is still there, just in very different, a little bit sneakier ways. But I will say that more dietitians, especially younger dietitians, are more on board with the messaging that we should be more culturally aware and incorporating some of those cultural foods and being able to listen to people from different backgrounds. And that, you know, it's not okay to tell people not to eat. And with the positive movement, there also has been more of a shift to being able to accept or see more representation of people in different sized bodies across the spectrum. And I think that's something that's become really important too, is that we are starting to have these conversations more often, even if people aren't totally on board with where some folks are at right now. 
But I, I just have taken so much away from this conversation. I, I'm really grateful that you took so much time, both in preparation of this of this incredible masterclass, but also just your generosity in answering our very specific questions here tonight. So I again want to remind everyone, you got to go to see Taylor on Food and Fearless. And also maybe we can continue this conversation on the Strive Hive too, and just see how people are navigating this for the next few days as it comes up for you. And it just... It's part of the process and we're going to be here for each other. Yeah. Thank you all so much for being here and chatting with us. I hope this episode gave you the hug and kick in the pants that you need to grow. It was fun to do something a little different. And like I said, these masterclasses happen often in the Strive Hive, but they will very rarely be shared outside of that private community. And since that episode was, or not episode, that masterclass was taught back in February, I have referred to it over and over again in my own life, as I have been feeling the challenge and the pressure to constantly change and work on my post-COVID figure. And I'm sure you are feeling the same. And I hope this whole month's episode, in fact, have been extremely helpful in guiding you to understand why it's worth knowing that you are more than a body. And at the same time, also anchoring into ways that you can better support and honor your body. It's always a give and take here. It's not about if you don't diet, then that means you're out of control and crazy and not caring about your health. And neither does it have to mean that when you care about your health, you have to do it in extreme ways. And I, and I think we've really hit that home this past month. There are actually no progress pointers for this episode since this was a masterclass replay, but I do want to encourage you to follow Taylor at Food and Fearless. Not only does she know her stuff, she's also an amazing artist and all of her things that she shares really uplift me and teach me at the same time. I hope you know how grateful I am to have you here. This month has brought an uptick in DMs and emails that I've gotten from you. And you are saying how impactful this month's theme has been for you. And those notes have thrilled me uh, in ways I can't fully express to you. And if you would like to do something with a note that you have shared with me, or if you haven't had the time yet and you've been meaning to, there are two ways that you can do this beyond just contacting me directly, which I always love to hear. But make sure you submit your note through a Dear Progressor note. So record it on a voice memo on your phone and email it to me at hello at aboutprogress.com. And then it's going to be featured on our Dear Progressor episode next week. And the second thing you can do with any of these like bits of encouragement that you want to share with me or ways an episode impacted you is share that on a rating and review, especially on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. I am a little over 100 away from my goal of 1,000 ratings and reviews. And I don't want to belabor how much this does for the community and the podcast, but it really does so much. So if this month in particular has impacted you in ways that you needed. I would love to hear about it always personally. And I would be extra grateful if you could take a few more minutes and put it on a rating and review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. And I've been giving lots of little gifts away along the month, not a formal giveaway, just here and there, a random shout out to people of the reviews I'm seeing and and sending out some thank you gifts because I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it so much. Final thing to remind you about is to not forget to apply for our new position as a copywriter slash social media manager at aboutprogress.com slash apply. I told you about that last week. Our applications are going to be closing June 1st. And I would love for it to be a loyal listener to the show. So if that's you, if you have experience in copywriting and social media, make sure you'd apply aboutprogress.com slash apply. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. 
I hope you go and do something with what you learned today. And remember, life is about progress, not perfection. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.